This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The One Tough Mother podcast. The One Tough Mother show is real talk with special guests, including industry leaders, celebrities, and amazing women who've overcome adversities to work their way to the top and are willing to share their real life lessons. Remember, you don't have to be a mother to be one tough mother. It's all about you. And welcome to the One Tough Mother Show. Hey, there's a lot of birthdays this week, wasn't there? I think there's a lot of birthdays every week. Yeah, but I mean, like, both our families, both little kids. My granddaughter was May 1st and... Alex is May 1st. Right. One turned four, one turned six, right? Correct. What'd you guys do? Oh boy, it was a it was a uh, from Wednesday on was just a Alex birthday celebration extravaganza. Wow, like a birthday week. Pretty much uh, Wednesday, you know, we had the cake, and then I took them to Chuck E. Cheese just to do something on Wednesday. Um, Thursday after work, uh, we went to Kalahari. Wow. Stayed over there at the, at the world's largest indoor water park. And then uh, we stayed on Friday for most of the day and we came home. And then Saturday at five, his grandparents came over and his uncle and family. We had a bunch of food and they all chipped in and got him a new iPad. He was very excited. Oh. Which uh, we have to manage, you know? Yeah. But we will. He's had... Uh, you know, we've had some tablets and stuff. So we're, our TV, I don't know if I, I talk about the fact that our TV broke a few weeks ago. No. Yeah. And um, LG, LG uh, nicely said they would fix it for free, but the guy keeps coming over and the parts broken and all kinds of stuff. So it's been several weeks and um, our kids have been better without TV. So I'm actually going to cut the cord, I think, and just pretty much do uh, internet and basic so you're gonna cut you're gonna cut cable out completely pretty much i mean as much as i can yeah i really if ma ma wasn't here dude i seriously would not have cable i don't have time to watch it you know i watch them i watch some programs you know uh, i think three shows i watch besides sports are a couple on hbo there's a couple on showtime so four shows um and i could pay for those separately if i want yeah yeah it's it's really super expensive anymore well, just, I don't know. It's just, they make it difficult though. Cause you need Wi-Fi and just, but it just, the most important thing is our kids aren't watching TV anymore and they're just, they're playing together more. Their moods are, are better. Uh, it's just better overall. And, well, I, you um, know, that's a great point, Seth, because like their moods are better. So that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, Talia just watched a little TV just now before she went to bed. That's the first time she watched all day. Oh, that's awesome. And you know, I, I told you before I was very, um, I was the stingy mom with the TV. Like my kids didn't have the TV on during the week when they were in school. It was a weekend type of thing. And I think that's important. You're right. You really have to manage it though. And we're getting a TV fixed, but I think we might just leave it like turned upside down, uh, you know, backwards like it is now. Oh, <laughs> what happened? Did it fall or something? No, 
uh, I bought it. It's two years old. They don't make it anymore. And it just went. And then I went online. And I saw that it happens to a lot of people, that TV. So instead of blasting them online, I sent them a direct message on Twitter. And they offered to fix it for free. Oh, that's really cool. Oh, that led to another problem, though, because I, I belong to BJ's. So first I ran out because Game of Thrones was starting. I went out to buy a new TV. I bought the TV. Then I found out they'd fixed my old one. So I returned it to BJ's. They said, oh, where's the receipt? I said, I'm a member. Like, you know I bought it here. You have the receipt. Oh, we'll give you credit. We can't give you the money back. Oh, no. I said, that you're kind of defeating the whole purpose of the whole membership thing. You know? Oh. Yeah. I mean, it annoyed me. I'll use the credit anyway. It was like, it was, TVs are pretty cheap these days. And, I, you know, I got a cheap one. Um, they were... Did you open the box? No. They start inspecting the box. They open it. They're taking serial numbers. They made me feel like I was a criminal. It's Holy like, cow. Why are you returning this? So you guys are the worst customer service I've ever dealt with in my life. You know, seriously, dude, you get a TV for opening a bank account. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's just, I don't know. I guess maybe they've had a lot of bad experience with clientele. I don't know, but it was just... Um, they were annoying me. I was getting, I was starting to get a little, I had Talia with me. Otherwise I, I would have like, probably laid into them pretty good. Yeah. That's, so I'm that's going out with them on social media too. That's pretty bad because you know what? With social media, anybody that doesn't give like excellent customer service, they're asking for it. I, I kept it on direct message. I didn't blow them up yet. Yeah. I, I try to be nice at first. Yeah, me too. There's no, I, I never go out looking for a fight. Like, I never go out thinking, okay, if I don't get what I want, because you don't get what you want, you, you know? There's compromise in everything. So I'm th- I am always like, you know, let's resolve this amicably. Let's try to figure this out. This broke or this didn't work or whatever the case is. But when you get somebody that's going to like already, like when you're coming for them, they're, you're coming to explain your story, they're already like got a look on their face, their body language yeah. sucks. You, you know where it's going right away. Oh, you just reminded me too. At Kalahari, we had a late dinner on Thursday and, you know, the water park closed at nine. So we got dried off. We went to get something to eat. And there's four kids and us and the waitress is, you know, she's probably be, trying to be nice. The food was disgusting. Um, but I left, you know, I left over between 15 and 20% tip anyway. And we're done. And she's like, you have to wait here and make sure your name clears. I said, nah, I'll, I'll be right outside the restaurant, which was in the lobby, which you could see us from there. Yeah. And then, um, then I went and saw her. She was throwing her arms up in the air. And I was like, I'm right here. And then we were watching her. She's cleaning the table. She's like throwing her arms up in the air. She's cleaning like she's like, the, like, like, you know, the baby left some food on the floor. But what do you expect? You're working at a restaurant in a water park. Right. Like, what do you what do you think? Fine dining? You think it's going to be, you know? I don't know. It was bizarre. Where is Kalahari? It's uh, Poconos. All those places are up there. Oh, okay, okay, okay. They're all there. Great Wolf Lodge, Aquatopia, Camelback. Okay. They're all the same. But um, it's funny. We went there for a few years and it used to be really nice. And now, like, I guess the new, you know, the new hotel shine is kind of off it a little bit. The water park is clean, though, like the filtration and all that stuff. And the kids had a great time. Oh, one quick story about that. Uh, We're at the wave pool and this kid was kind of eyeing up Alex like he was going to start some trouble with him. And Melissa yelled at him. And then our our oldest, Zephy, saw the kid. He says, oh, that kid tried to mess with Talia on the water slide, and she knocked him down. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. She tried to, he tried to go ahead of her, and she just knocked him on the ground. I love it. <laughs> oh, she's a girl after my own heart, that Talia. 
yeah, my boys are like, you know, really passive. They don't want any confrontation, but uh, she doesn't take any. She doesn't start anything, but she doesn't take it either. Good. That's good. I'm, I'm yeah, glad like, she's a strong woman. That's awesome. She was running around that place like a crazy one. And, and down. Flying, around and flying up the stairs and just running all over the place. It's fun. The kids love it. Is it okay? Is it okay with Micah? Like it's not hard with him? Uh, well, you know, Melissa basically holds on to them. I, I spent some time. They have, a, they have a little kitty. Oh, there's another story there. There's a little kitty section, right? For little babies and toddlers. You just sit in the water with him, you know, he's standing up, but he's, you know, he's, he has, they all have life jackets on. And I see this, I look over, I'm holding Micah and I see this kid with like a soiled, um, a swimmy. I was like, all right, time to get out of here. I said, it's disgusting. So I saw his dad there. I said, I go, I just go, his dad, I, go, I will lean over and I said, Full diaper. He's like, yeah, okay. Like, he didn't care. Yeah. It was disgusting. Yeah, people are... Ugh. Gross. Yeah, and, um, it's one of the reasons I'm not a big fan of going to those places. No, but, it, oh, you know, that's the kids part. But overall, the place, believe it or not, and I, I get skeeved out easily. The place is pretty clean. Oh, and the food, but that. the food really sucks, right? That, that one place, yeah. You know, we just ordered the wrong stuff. You know, when you just get... You, get, you can't make a decision. You're trying to eat healthy and just make a wrong decision anyway, and it's bad. Yeah, it's just it's just bad. I don't know what can I tell you. Well, but they have some, they had some other stuff that was all right. It's it's a water park. I mean, what do you expect? Yeah, and I'm not far. I'm like, what am I like? Twenty minutes from them, right? They won't let you in. Why? You're too old, dude. I have a lot of kids. Number one, <laughs> two. Before you say I'm too old, look in the mirror. Number three, I'd be happy to go in there and just play in the water park. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm gonna, I, I've am gonna. i never been up to any of them. Actually, my grandkids go to um, one of them. I forget which one it is, but I think they've gone, they've gone to a couple of them. And they look really fun. Uh, it's, it's great because it's all contained, too. So just it's just easy. And uh, I got Alex was finally tall enough to go on one of the fast ones with me. Oh, good. And it, yeah. He... we. Thursday night went up those stairs like nine flights of stairs four times and yeah it was fun. It is fun. I love that. And and yeah. that, he loves it too. Your oldest son. Oh yeah. I mean he's he's you know he's getting older so he's, he still loves it but you know eventually you know they're still big enough. There's there's stuff for adults there too and like you know, he's a big kid he can go on everything. So I just wonder because he's not like got, he doesn't have anybody his age with him. So I was like ah is he like ah. No, he's good. He's actually he's a really good kid. He 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 was having fun with his his brother and sister, and then I took him on some stuff too. So, oh, fun. Yeah, we try to we try to you know keep everyone happy. Well, wow, you had a really you had a crazy packed week then. Yes, we did. Instead of a birthday party, he wanted Kalahari, so it ended up you know I think money wise it probably ended up being the same. Yeah, That's definitely. Fine. But we we had a bunch of you know we did a bunch of stuff, so it was good. Oh, good. I'm glad you had a great week because the weather has not yeah. been the best. So at least you were doing no. something fun. Yes, ma'am. So I can't wait to tell you about today's guest. Talk about like navigating the water parks and doing all this stuff. I I mean, this woman just, I can't thank her enough for her time. I'm, I'm very grateful that she is a guest on our show. Today's guest is a woman who's driven to understand what's next navigate change and help others do the same by cultivating a habit of seeking out new ideas, people, and places. Beth Comstock built a career path that took her from storyteller to chief marketer 
to corporate vice chair and now author. A director at Nike, trustee of the National Geographic Society, and a former board president of the Cooper Hewitt Smithsonian National Design Museum, Beth spent nearly three decades as GE's chief marketing officer and then vice chair of innovation. Believe it or not, she was named one of the world's 100 most powerful women in 2015 and 16. Beth is now soaring forward on the next journey of her life. In September of 2018, Beth authored her first book titled, Imagine It Forward, Courage, Creativity, and the Power of Change, in which she openly shares her life lessons, and she openly shares her life lessons. It's with great pleasure and gratitude that we welcome Beth Comstock to the One Tough Mother Show. Well, Beth Comstock, thank you so much for being here. We're so excited to have you. I'm really excited to be here. I'm glad we're, we're talking. Before we get into everything that you're doing now, I have to say, I was honestly sucker punched and so blown away by your honest and authentic interview in Marie Claire Magazine in February. And that had to take a lot, right? Yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for mentioning and reading it. Yeah, it uh, it it was perhaps even more vulnerable than I remembered being. So it was kind of when I read it, I was like, "Did I say that?" But I was, I, I mean, I, I I talked about leaving my job, uh, a job I loved, or rather, I should say, the job left me. I was planning to leave at some point, but it just happened much more abruptly in a leadership change, and I just I just shared the the drama about it and the the vulnerability that I felt about it. So anyway, I was I was happy to be able to do that. So Karen, I'm glad it, it, you felt it, it resonated. Oh my God, Beth, that, that, that article, if no one has read it, they have to read it because you're like open, honest, you're really raw. And the fact of the matter is you spent your entire professional life achieving the highest level of excellence. I mean, you were named Forbes the world's 100 most powerful women in 2015 and 16. Then for it to all be changed by one stinking phone call, <laughs> my mind. Yeah, yeah. And I think we all have to be ready for that. I think also the, the stories you tell yourself, like I said, I, I had put this book together. I thought I was going to leave at some point. I knew it kind of was coming to the end of my term. But you think you're, you're going to have control over these situations. And Usually you don't. And I think that's one of the lessons about change that we all know. I call myself a change maker. I've always been in my career, someone who kind of looked for what's next, but it doesn't mean I like change, especially the change I don't control. And that was an example of not controlling. And most of us are familiar with that. And that's one thing I tell people is one thing that I tell people when I speak or to my children, change is inevitable. The only thing you can depend on is change. So be prepared for it. I mean, if you think that your life is comfortable, if you think you're in a, in a, in a position that's always going to be happen, something's always going to be happening. It's not. Be prepared for that. Correct. Exactly, and I think that is part of uh, sort of what I feel like I learned in a in a business career is we need to think a lot through alternate scenarios, a, a lot of what ifs. Uh, it's it's a good regular practice to have. You know, what if this happens? Happen. I mean, you don't want, you want to walk around like a worry wart the whole time. Uh, and the what if scenarios can also be positive. We tend to think it's only negative, but I do think with change happening so fast and so disruptively in the world today, given technology, globalization, everything, 
it, it really is on all of us to start to think through some of these scenarios. So you're at least not, you, you're not going to control it, but you're at least kind of mentally ready. Right, right. That You're never going to control change, but you're right, right. Be mentally ready because you know what happens is you get into a scenario, you get into a career, you in all the years, me in all the years that we worked, most of our friends become our work friends, our colleagues. I mean, you build your life around the industry, your family actually builds its life around your industry. You move mountains doing those things, then it's gone. Yeah. And yeah. And you do have to have, have, um, you know, not, I, I, there were times in my career where I, I mean, I, I was a working mother the whole time. I, I had a career. I, I was married. I, I am still married, but I, um, you know, the, the thing is you, 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 you have to figure out what's important. And, you know, people say that all the time and you think, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I know that. But it's at those moments when you do go, what is important to me? What, what is important and how do I think about it? So um, I, I think change is a, is a good reminder to kind of test us about what's important. For, for men and women both, because once you have a seat at the table, once you're on the fast track, once that train is moving, it is so easy to become consumed with it, right? Well, you get caught up in it. Um, you, you know, I'm, I'm a big one on strategy and mission. I, I feel like um, that's important for a business, but also personally. Um, and to be able to stop sometimes and go, well, wait a minute. Does, am I worried about this for the right reasons? Does this match the strategy for what I'm trying to do for my career, for my family? And often we forget that strategy because we get caught up in the moment, right? We're trying to get that next position or we are competitive with someone at work or we're competitive with somebody who in a business sense and we lose sight of what we're trying to accomplish. So I, I just big on going back to what's your mission, what's your strategy and always just coming back and saying, is this in pursuit of that? If not, then I can't worry about it. I can't focus on it. I can't do that. Right. And focus is key. I always say discipline and focus are the hardest two things to do and the most important things you have to have going on. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've thought a lot about this when I put the book together. One of the things, the themes that came out that I feel most passionate about is this idea of make room for discovery. This notion of getting out in the world, go see for yourself, starting to be good at um, pattern recognition, seeing kind of things that are uncomfortable, unusual, maybe even weird. And that process is not, it's, it's a different kind of discipline, maybe is a way to put it, because you're having to fight for time to do it. There's always too many emails, too many meetings. And the idea of just kind of wandering around and seeing what you discover seems very unfocused. Yet, I believe if you don't make time for that too, you can never really get focused on what matters because you're going to be surprised and spend all your time trying to catch up. So it's kind of interesting to think about what you focus on, how you think about managing your time in the context of work at hand versus discovering what's new. I, I agree a thousand percent because when you do those things, when you go out into the world, when you meet new people, when you see different <clears throat> things, you so enrich your own personality, your own focus, your own what's going on. It opens your eyes, your heart, your mind to so many things that you might have been closed off to. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you a story. I, um, when I was working at GE, uh, we were doing a lot of global development. My, my job became really uh, what's next, what's new, from marketing to innovation. And we were, we were looking at, um, at the Middle East at the time. And um, I was going to go to Saudi Arabia. I was one of the first women in the company to go to Saudi Arabia at the time. And one of my colleagues, uh, a woman colleague, she said, you know, I never go to Saudi because I, and I make my customers come and meet me in Dubai or something or Europe because I don't like the way they treat women in Saudi. Well, I had never been there and I didn't like what I read either. Um, but I felt I had to go see for myself. H how did I know unless I saw it? And it was one of the most formative moments I had in my career, I donned my, um, my robe, my abaya, my headscarf, you know, I think I was there in like 200 degree weather in August, and went with a team and met, first of all, some of the most amazing women I've ever met in business. These were women <clears throat> who were doctors and investors and professors. And we got to meet with the health systems there and realized that uh, women were not being diagnosed early enough of breast cancer. And what we realized was, one, they couldn't drive, so they couldn't necessarily get proper screening. And secondly, the screening was intimidating. So it was an opportunity for us to seed a mobile mammography unit, a new way of dealing with cancer detection. Had we not gone to see for ourselves, we never would have been able to be part of that. Um, and yes, not everything's perfect. Yes, there was a lot of things that were uncomfortable, but I needed to go there and learn. So to me, that was just a really good lesson that y when you can, you need to go explore for yourself. 100% because your opinion of what's going on and someone else's storytelling of what's going on may not be true. And I worry about that in business and frankly life today. I mean, we're all bombarded with so much incoming content and uh, you know, everything coming at us. And um, it's hard to sometimes say, you know, I got to form my own hypothesis on this. I've got to get out there and I'm going to see what I think about that situation. Um, and, and, um, and I think that really is the first key to kind of understanding. I'm big on seeing patterns. To me, I, I have a simple rule of thumb. It's not, not very scientific, but I call it going on threes. So the first time I get, you know, I'm out wandering, the first time I think, aha, that's, I'll notice something uh, that's interesting. In fact, I keep a notebook of interestingness. I have a folder in my phone and I have a paper notebook and I'll note something. Then I'll be out wandering and I, if I see it again, I'll ask, is that a coincidence and note it. The third time I just declare it's a trend. So by number three, I say it's a trend. I don't need some official trendster to certify it. And then the question for me or if I'm working with my team is just, okay, what do we have to do to learn more about this? And, you know, is it relevant to us? And I think as people, we're kind of pattern-making machines. It, it goes back to seeing footprints in the forest or whatever. Is that a tiger or something else? And so I think we are good at that, but we've gotten away from it because we're not out exploring. I, I agree a thousand percent. People have become, and maybe I don't know for how many years, and I have no statistics on this as well, but in what I see in people, they have become comfortable in a pattern. People yeah. become comfortable because change is scary. Let's face it, Beth. I mean, you had a sucker punch to the gut. You get a phone call. I'm going to move forward. You're not going with me. I mean, that's, that's scary. For that moment, you had to just be like, what? And that's when people have a change, a major life event, they, they, they don't know how to handle it because it is so foreign to them, correct? 
Exactly, exactly. Um, I mean, I think that really is, <clears throat> it is the fear behind it. Um, and I think that's one of the things I was trying to do with my book, um, to take myself back, especially to the middle part of my career when I was sort of, um, you know, in the middle of the organization. I think that part of any organization gets the most part of fear because the expectations are huge. You're afraid to take a risk. Um, you're afraid to try something new where you don't know the answers. Um, but increasingly, I don't think it's just people in the middle of the organization. I think it's if we, we're real honest, it's all of us. We bring our fear to the situation. I, um, I've, uh, my mother was a school teacher. I've gotten over the past couple of years, reached, gotten to connect with quite a few school teachers. And I'm hearing from them as well that they're seeing our kids are uh, afraid to try things a bit more. Not, not afraid of failure so much, but afraid of not being successful, if that makes sense. And I think that's another fear we bring, is that we're not going to succeed. Uh, we're going to look stupid. We're not going to know the answer. So I think those are some of the fears that, um, that we bring. To me, I had to learn um, to kind of channel more of my entrepreneurial spirit. And I think entrepreneurs are everywhere. But this notion of trying things out, uh, trying them small, have a hypothesis. It doesn't have to be true, but hey, here's a hypothesis of what might be. Can I test it out in some way? And that helped me a lot overcome some of those fears because you're, you're if you will, trying to lower the risk of trying some of these new things. You don't go pitch your idea to the board. Maybe you pitch it to your cube mate before you even take it to your manager. Those kinds of things are what I'm talking about. It's so true. And you know, the book, the title of your book is Imagine It Forward, Courage, Creativity, and the Power of Change. Amazing, because I believe that anyone that reads this book, it can be a real, it can be a real life changer. It can be a real, you know, change in what they think or how they feel, because I have made it my goal in life because I've, I've had so many things go on and so many opportunities and I've worked with so many amazing mentors that um, I'm going to do what I'm afraid of most. That's one of the things that I really, I'll say, no, dude, I, I can't do that. Like, wow, I, I have no clue. And I'll tell you, somebody at the very, very top of their industry one time told me, do what you're, fear, you're fearful of the most because that's going to make the most change. And always remember, it's not the fear of failure. It's the fear of disappointment that you have. Move yeah. On. Yeah. So how did you, uh, Karen, how did you, how did you, that's great advice, I mean, but we all get a lot of advice we don't act on. How did you kind of take action on that? Well, you know what? I've learned through life that you don't have control of change. I mean, I've had a lot of major things. I was the pretty much for the most of my children, all four children's lives. I was a single mother. Um, I would just step forward and say, I'll try it. I'll try it. I'll try it. Because I learned from someone that I may not know how to do something or how to react to something, but I damn sure know someone who does. So, or are there somewhere I can find that information? So I just, I call myself a life learner. I learn different things through life. Like I just learn from other people or I read about it or ask people I know and people be like, oh my God, you're so confident or, or you, you really are, you know, you think you can do it and you do it. I'm so fearful every day that I'm going to make the mistake. And it's not because I'm a fear. I'm not fearing failure. Everybody fails. I'm fearing disappointing someone. That's hmm. my biggest problem. Yeah. And you kind of, it sounds like you're accepting the, the fail as part of it, that feeling as part of it. Uh, one of the things I, um, because it, I also, as I hear you talk, you, you seem 
very confident. I, I feel like people would hear me, they think, oh, she's confident too. That's something I've always struggled with. And I'm, I'm an introvert as well, which means I conserve my energy. I, you know, I don't necessarily put, I'm, you're never going to call me the life of the party. Let's just put it that way. And so I realized in myself, I had to, like, I, I was my biggest uh, stumbling, stumbling block in some cases. I didn't put myself out there. I wouldn't ask questions in a meeting or pitch ideas when I had the opportunity. And so I had to kind of, my mindset shift was just give myself permission. This idea of like write myself a permission slip, just one small step forward. Okay. So I, instead of going to that networking event and leaving, uh, and not meeting anybody. Next time I'm going to go and I'm just going to go up and I'm going to meet one person. Hi, Karen, I'm Beth, you know, have a small conversation, then I can leave. Next time I'm going to meet two people. And so that's how I kind of hacked my brain, I guess, and my confidence were just really small steps. And it sounds so simple. And it is, I think that's what we're saying. These aren't like, you know, run into the burning building and save the granny kind of moves. These are small steps of everyday courage that we're talking about. I'm blown away by the introvert thing because I've watched you in an interview and you are just authentic and personal and open. And with your career background, I mean, reading everything you've done, I think to myself, this woman walks in a room and owns it. She has a seat at the table that has her name on it. And I'm blown away that that wasn't really your persona. Well, it wasn't the way I felt inside. I, 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 um, and I had to work, you know, I'm not necessarily a fake it till you make it kind of person. I'm actually, I, I like play, I have the worst poker face ever. So you can tell <laughs> if I'm faking it. Um, so I think it was more those small deliberate steps when I realized I wasn't owning a room. I wasn't even speaking up. How could I own it when I even, my voice wasn't even heard. And so it was, I think, more a realization in myself and also feedback. There was a moment uh, I share in the book when um, I'd just been named chief marketing officer at GE. They hadn't had anyone in the role for, for 20 years. I didn't, I'd come out of NBC. I didn't have a kind of MBA certified biz, uh, marketing background and I was a bit intimidated. And I remember my boss, Jeff Immelt, called me in about four to six months into the job and he's like, listen, like you gotta step up here. Uh, you need, I don't know where your confidence is, but I'm not seeing it. And I put you in this job for a reason. And one, I was on the hook now, you know, he's like called me out on it. I thought I was doing a pretty good job acting, but he was right. I wasn't feeling like I owned the job. And so, you know, I kind of needed that nudge. So in addition to just your own self feeling it, I do believe firmly in feedback and being open to it and, and, you know, not all feedback is right for you, but certainly that was one that I had to listen to my boss and realize I was not just potentially letting him down. I was letting myself down. You know, it's so true because even when, when I read the part about that you were, you had thought that you were going to have this great um, journalism career and you're going to be a, you went into being a weather person. You couldn't pronounce the names of the towns. <laughs> well, exactly. I'm thinking to myself, holy cow, like you had to struggle and fight and everybody does. And what people don't realize, they'll say to me like, wow, you have this amazing, successful show and you speak to the top women in the country, if not the world. And you must really, I, I think all the time in gratitude. I think I'm so grateful to hear what they have done because it's going to help me and everybody else around us. Yeah, and I think I think it's good that you're recognizing that, and it helps people because I do think 
we imagine in those other kind of, you know, it's that little other voice that goes on in our heads. If, if you're like me, you have many of those different voices. And one of those voices is like, they got it together and you don't. And that's why I think it's important to just be open. That's why that Marie Claire piece, um, like I said, I shared a lot. For me, it was un uncomfortable, but I'm glad I did because I wanted to be able to say, yeah, I sat on the bench in Bryant Park and I cried. My husband read it and he goes, I don't get it. Like you were happy to be leaving the company. I said, yeah, but I wasn't. At the same time, I didn't, I didn't want to lose my team. I didn't. Uh, it, it meant a lot to me. So you can also be sad about it. And what I tried to share in the book were failures, not just successes, but the insecurities, the failures, because I do want people to know, know that we're all alike in that respect. And um, we don't talk enough about it. We write books and teach classes and do podcasts that say it's really easy. It's just one, two, three, and there you go. It's not easy. And maybe a few people get it easy and, you know, good on them. But I certainly, that wasn't the path I found. It's so true because in Imagine It Forward, the steps are so authentic because you're right. You hear a podcast, you read a book, somebody sends you an article. I get millions and millions of books a day. My mom says I should own my own library. <laughs> okay. Step one, do this. Step two, do this again and then do it better. And you're like, dude, I'm told this is, I'm not connected. But you know what, Beth? Here's the deal about Imagine It Forward, the book you wrote. It's a story. You're telling a story. And people love storytelling. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I agree. And I, I started my career wanting to be a journalist. I turned out not to be a very good, a good on-camera reporter. But I... I think the book helped me remind me that I've always been a storyteller and I think it part I fought not just for imagination in traditional companies and business, but for the power of story, especially in this age of data, efficiency, productivity. We, we're just convinced whether we're selling a product to ourselves, if, if we can just prove we're more efficient and productive, you just think how much more valuable we're going to be yet. Really, it's about connecting and the story and where did you come from? Where are you going? What are you trying to do in the world? Why should I help you? Why, are what, why is what you're doing relevant to what I need? These are the kind of questions that story answers, uh, aside from just inspiring you. I guarantee, unless there's some overwhelming statistic that in itself triggers a story, you're going to remember a story far more than you are a number. Uh, one of the simple stories I always like to tell is so silly, but I, it's true. I remember I went to buy strawberries at a local farm market and I, uh, there were like two different kinds and the proprietor was like, Oh, these, these, the more expensive ones, this farm girl from like Pennsylvania, Dutch country, she picked them this morning and, and, you know, and, and he just, the story, I imagined this, this young farm girl, like almost like gingerly laying them in velvet and like kissing each strawberry or something and making it sweeter. Like this story came to life. And before you know it, I'm like plunking down crazy money to buy these stupid strawberries. <laughs> That's what it is, right? It's a connection and it can work for strawberries. Who cares on one level, but for all of us, you want to connect. What's your story? So Rather than just saying, hi, Karen, how are you? Maybe another conversation starter is to say, hi, you know, how are you? But what's your story? Right. Where'd you come from? What are you trying to do in the world? 
It's a much different way to connect and listen, really hear someone's story. Don't be in a hurry to tell yours. Try to understand that story as a base of connection. That's what I had to learn to do um, to get over my awkwardness, shyness, introversion. But also it was, I, I think it was what I really value is story. I, I think in the world of uh, 20 plus years of data being thrown at us from every level, change that happens at the turn of a dime. I mean, every five seconds you see something that's changing and changing. I've noticed that when I speak, people just, they just live and breathe the story because they forgot being spoken to as a human, being spoken to from the heart and being spoken to from an authentic standpoint is the most humane and human thing you can do, right? Yeah, I mean, I think people just want to be acknowledged. Um, they want to say, I've been heard. Uh, I, I was at a conference recently, they were talking about, you know, the future of work and artificial intelligence and just the data that's being applied to searching for resumes. Now even firing people, you know, the data says you're not up to snuff, you have to leave. Um, is it any wonder that people are feeling disenfranchised because it's, it's the humanity there, but that's part of your story. Like, was I seen as a person? Did you see me? Did you understand me? Were you trying to make me better? And so I worry a lot in this kind of age of data that we're, um, we're losing sight of that story connection, which is really the connection to what it means to be human. You're 100% right. So when you were writing Imagine It Forward, you were writing it during your time and in the industry. Did it change? Did finishing the book change after you, you, you had this whole career change? Well, I had pretty much finished the book. Um, and then I left more abrupt, my job at GE more abruptly um, than I expected. So, I, and GE was going, has had a tough couple of years. Um, it's a great company and yet leadership change and short-term inv activist investors coming in. So there was a lot of um, change at GE. And so, yeah, I had to go back and change key pieces of it, especially sort of an epilogue and what's happened since. Um, in the year since I published the book, I, I probably turned it in a year and a half ago, um, there are still things I might have changed. You know, the good thing about writing a book, and I tried to make this one very personal on purpose. It's it's an unusual business book. It's part reflection, part practical how-to. But um, I, you know, the more time you have to reflect, I think the more honest you can be with yourself. And what I, I, I tried to share kind of my inner insecurities I think I might have shared a little bit. There were times when I'm sure I was not an easy boss or, or easy mother. I tried to share some of that, but I might have even dug into that a little bit more. So, so yeah, a lot changed. I tried to reflect that, but in the time since, I might have even reflected some of my recognition of myself that wasn't even quite apparent to me then. I think that's book two because, first of all, how many? you have two children, correct? Two daughters, yeah, two grown daughters. So in just that alone, I mean, it's tough. We've toughed it out. We're, you know, we're working mothers and every woman out there that's a working mother, I, I give you kudos. I mean, even if you're a stay at home, my daughters are stay at home mothers at the point, this point until their children go to school. You're raising another generation. I say that to them all the time. Like you're raising, you don't know what this child's going to become. You don't know if he's going to be president. It's going to be king. You don't know what's going to happen. You're raising another generation. So that in itself is a very, very tall order 
but then to have a very successful career on top of it, we as women have so many pressures, it's sometimes hard to breathe. Yeah, it is sometimes hard to breathe. And, and I feel in my daughters, um, I mean, I only ever worked and had kids at the same time. I, um, like you, a certain period of my life, I was a single mother and, and I just had responsibilities and I had to work. I also liked to work. I liked what it meant to be feeling like I had some kind of impact in the world. So it was important to me. I love seeing in my daughters their independence. Um, they're, um, you know, they're, they're, they have a certain level of confidence that I'm not sure I had then. But it's also hard to just kind of pick a path and not try to let everybody else tell you what your story should be. I struggled with that. And in some respects, I see my daughters still struggling with what do they want their story in the world to be? Not what does everybody think it should be? I have one daughter who's a actor and another daughter who's a strategist and writer who works in a company and they both have very they're both very creative but I love them kind of coming into their own as well and figuring out what is their story and how do they want to make their way in the world and it, it doesn't have to be and I tell my kids this that it, okay there's no gold watch at the end of 50 years change your path if you feel something if you feel passionate about it if something hits you one day and you wake up and you go oh my gosh I've got to do this and look into it, baby steps, take baby steps towards that because there's no set path that you have to take. Your life changes every single moment of every single day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that flexibility, I mean, since I've not been working in a company, um, I've come to appreciate for myself, at least going forward, much more a notion of professional fluidity. I want, I want to wear different, I want different, aspects of my job I, uh, of what I do I want to wear different hats however you want to whatever metaphor you want to use I want that and um, I think that's why I stayed at the company I did for so long because I was able to do a lot of different roles work in a lot of different industries and I think more and more of us seek that out and I do feel that people um, who are younger have more opportunity to do that and, and I hope the world's becoming more accepting of that. Oh, me too. I, I so think that, you know, people, they've got so much out there. They have way more than we ever had to, to draw from, to draw knowledge from and people to draw knowledge from. So I think use it. Don't feel that you're, that you're lost in a big cog of what's going on. You can always find ways out. And again, it's sometimes Beth, it's baby steps, right? Yeah, it is baby steps. And it's also, I don't know if you know the work by Barry Schwartz. He's a professor. He wrote a book, um, uh, about the power, the paradox of choice. And I think there's also to that point, having too many options, too many potential paths can also be, um, can, can also in inhibit you. Um, and that's where that kind of confidence of, yeah, there's a lot I could do, but this is what I think is best for me and what I want to do. So it also takes some confidence as you're testing things out. You probably Maybe you could do everything you think you can, but you really aren't going to be able to do them all well. So you need to, you need to keep narrowing where you want to focus your energies. That's so true. And we have so many influences around us. We have family, we have friends, we have bosses, we have not so many nice people. I mean, there's always an influence. Then the other day I read this meme that said, um, I will not compare myself to someone else on Instagram. And I thought, Holy shit. <laughs> what a weird place to put that one. <laughs> Holy cow. Like, um, believe it or not, that's what everybody does. Yeah, that's why they're there. 
<laughs> so it's just bizarre. The world has changed definitely. I think your book is amazing. I think you're an amazing woman. I think there's a, a definite sequel, right? Well, we'll see. I, uh, I, it was a lot to write a book. I, um, I, I mean, the process to me was at least three years. I had to write a proposal. I actually uh, had a co-writer, which was very helpful to me because um, I had a job. And it, it took us about a year and a half to write the book and then another six to nine months in the promotion. So it's a big commitment. I think the good news for all of us these days is there's so many ways to share your story. I mean, look at you. You've got a podcast. Um, um, blogs are coming back. Uh, people are finding an Instagram more kind of microblogging. So I think there are different ways. Uh, more video is available to all of us. So I do feel there, that going forward, um, most of us, I think, I keep coming back to this theme of story, but uh, I'm not sure it'll, I don't, will it be a book for me, but I definitely want to be telling stories in some way. And that's part of what I'm taking uh, this year to figure out what's it going to be, what's next for me. I think that um, just seeing you speak, I mean, do you, you do a lot of speaking, of course. I, I do, yes. Uh huh. I think you'd be so valuable at the university level because um, you have a great story. You have you've tried a lot of things and, and you felt that the, the, the big blow of failure or, or at least disappointment. And th that reminds people that we're all human. It happens to all of us. Every person out there has had something happen that, that they're not happy or, or thrilled about, but you know, it's how you handle it. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I, um, at one, um, one group uh, where uh, an event I was, where I uh, was last year, um, with women, uh, one woman came up after me, up to me afterwards, and she said, "You know, I'm, I'm really not comfortable with you being so open about the failure. Um, I don't think men would do men do that, and I'm just not sure that's helpful." And I was like, "Okay, well, thank you. You know, thanks for the feedback. But for me, I just feel at this stage of my career and what I've been through, I I feel like certainly I didn't see enough men or women." talking about not only what worked, but what didn't work. And so for me to be authentic and for me to kind of tell, take people's time, I felt like you have to be able to walk away with something that says I've learned something. Um, so it was interesting in that reaction, you know, she was not yet comfortable. And hopefully maybe in the discussion, she felt a little more comfortable. I don't, I don't know if she did, but um, partly I, I feel sort of an obligation to, to kind of share that side of the story right now. I think that's so true because I spoke at a woman's group and um, there was, well, this group of women came up to me afterwards and the one woman said to me, I was blown away at your life story. Like, wow, you've been through a lot and you've done a lot and you've been through some really tough times. Like, don't you feel kind of funny talking about it? And I said, not at all. I said, it's part of my life. It's part of my story. I said, I, I'm just trying to tell everyone that it doesn't, it's not always roses. It's not always easy. I don't go to bed at night and go, okay, tomorrow I'm getting up and doing this. I go to bed and go, oh my God. And I stay up all night and I think about it and rethink it and re-guess re myself. She was so kind. She walked away and later the person that held the event came up to me and said, I saw you were talking to Anne. I said, yeah, she was very kind. And she goes, she's a New York Times bestseller on self-help. Uh huh. And I yeah. said, I can't believe it. I said, because... Honestly, honestly, Beth, the entire time I had spoken, I thought to myself, are these women getting it? Or am I in the wrong, talking about the wrong scenario to this big group of, you know, powerful women? 
oh my gosh, maybe I shouldn't be talking about this. Maybe I should talk about business strategy or how marketing and advertising can affect your bottom line, blah, blah, blah. I was blown away by that. Yeah, well, that it just, I, again, you made a connection, right? That, that someone saw in your story um, just the reality of life and that you were willing to share it. And hopefully by that, a few more people thought, okay, if she can share her issues, the ups and downs, so can I. That's, and that's exactly what you're doing. And I think it's amazing. Beth Comstock, I can't tell you how grateful we are for you to be on our show. And oh, your, your story is amazing. I think the things that you've done amazing, but you've got so much more to do. It's just, it just blows my mind. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, uh, and I'm intentionally taking a year to kind of reboot and regroup and wander and just do what I talked about, make room for discovery. This time I'm kind of discovering what's in me. Um, so it's much more of an inward discovery and uh, seeing what else may be out there in the world. Um, so part of my challenge is just being patient because I don't come naturally to patience and um, trying to say yes, but you've committed to this. And so I highly would recommend it if you have the opportunity, whether it doesn't have to be a year, but even a few weeks, just a chance to say stop and, um, and, and kind of listen. That's what I'm doing right now. Well, let me know when you're ready to cross country because my dream is to get in the car and drive to California and back <laughs> all the stuff in between. Good for you. I think that sounds like a great road trip. I hope you do it. Yeah, and speak to a million different women in different cities and find out what they're doing. Just interview well, women that have had incredible stories and, you know. Well, should you declare it right here that you're going to do it? Like maybe a public affirmation, uh, hold yourself accountable to your listeners that you're going to be on the road in the next period of time? I'm going to say in about five years, I got a financial. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that, there's that piece of it. Yeah, there's that piece. <laughs> well, thank you, Beth. Oh, thank you, Karen. Thanks a lot. Really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for the opportunity. You as well. Have a lovely day. Okay, so long. Bye. Bye-bye. The One Tough Mother Podcast. Real talk with amazing women who have worked their way to the top and want to share their real life lessons with you. And we're back. And we've got headaches, which I have a little bit of an allergy headache, and headlines. Hey, I hope you feel better. Thanks. Oh, this is my favorite. Parents plead guilty in college scam. Yeah. The first parents to plead guilty in the college admissions scam admitted Wednesday to conspir conspiring with strategist Rick Singer to get three of their daughters into elite schools. The California couple agreed to cooperate with federal investigators in a case that has ensnared 33 parents, of which 14 say they will plead guilty. The couple hired Singer to claim their children were athletes and improve their college entrance exam scores, transferring Facebook shares and payments worth $700,000 to a phony charity he operated. Um, can I just, can I make a comment on this? Please. You're all a bunch of scumbags. Well, I didn't think it was going to be that, but okay. You know what? Seriously, <laughs> it, it was a crappy thing. Or, to wait, do. you know, Karen, they're not. What? They're not scumbags. No, no, I think no. They are. I'm saying it was a really crappy thing to do. You're entitled. You're teaching your children to be entitled. 33 parents. We've only heard of how many? I haven't heard 33 different names. Mm-hmm. And 14 say they're going to plead guilty. I haven't heard that either. All I've heard is like the major ones, right? I guess, but on the other side, you know, this has been going on forever with sport, you know, even like the athletes themselves who shouldn't even be getting into certain schools. They don't have the grades or whatever else. So it's, let's not, let's not fool anyone ourselves and think that this, the college is not a business. 
oh my gosh when my boys went to school and they all three of them went to school for, for to college and had football scholarships okay it was absolutely clear to me from day one it was a business negotiation was just like i negotiated a contract for any other thing i've ever negotiated for yep and so, uh, you're right for a million years coaches have been sliding something under the table to star athletes you know the schools try to pretend like they're there for the you know education and, and greater good and they're just they're just not you know they're just running a business like any other business it, it's so very very clear that it is a business now unfortunately the world has bitten the apple and swallowed it and if you don't have a degree you don't even get the door open to most corporations well don't worry though there's some there's some politicians out there that are ready to wipe out all student debt and everyone will be fine so yeah, don't worry about happens. it <laughs> that's, that's 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 another whole story yeah. but we're, we're not a political show so right yeah but that's all cra- I mean, it's just you know they're gonna change america to crazy town that's gonna be a new name of the country yeah it should be crazy town crazy town i pledge allegiance to crazy town yeah all right uh companies hire most in nine months this is good news yeah right private, private payrolls grew the most in nine months in april jumping by two hundred seventy-five thousand. ADP and Moody analysts say, not Moody analysts, Moody's anal, anal, oh my God, what is that? (laughs) I'm having a problem right now. ADP and Moody's analytics say, I got it now. Got it. Uh, Jobs and professional and business services were the biggest gainer accounting for 59,000 new hires. Meanwhile, mid-sized companies with 50 to 500 employees added 145,000 new jobs. Small businesses added 77,000 jobs and large companies, 53,000. The report follows data showing the world's biggest economy grew 3.2% in the first three months of the year, the fastest first quarter growth since 2015. Hey, whatever your uh, politics or allegiance is, that's that's good news no matter what. No matter what. And they're still saying trade. They're still saying there's such a hiring crisis in the trades that if your kid does not want to go to college then the trades are are like they're like there's a crisis like nurses like welders like carpenters like plumbers like electricians there's a huge crisis for those kinds of people apple sales slow with google and amazon iphone sales dropped at their fastest ever rate in the first quarter but appeared to steady near the end of march thanks to a turnaround in china apple's latest results showed as expected, revenue from the flagship smartphone dropped 17%, prompting Apple to post its first back-to-back uh, fall and quarterly sales and profit in more than two years. Still, the tech giant raised its outlook for months ahead, with Chief Tim Cook citing price adjustments and lower taxes in China, as well as the growth of services like app sales and streaming music subscriptions. Google's parent company, Alphabet, and Amazon reported slowing revenue growth in the first quarter, as their flagship businesses showed signs of maturing, according to the Wall Street Journal. What does that mean? I mean, those companies were crushing it, so to just slow down a little bit, I don't understand, you know, I need more info. Yeah, me too. But Apple, I mean, you know, these other companies like Samsung, and I think you have a Samsung phone, right? Yeah, yep, I've all, I always have had droids, yep, always had Samsung. Yes, yeah. so, I mean, they're, 
you know, there's a lot of competition and they're just, they're, they're too expensive too. So they got to adjust those costs. I mean, look at, you know, is this, I know this isn't part of the story, but um, you know, Disney announced their, their like Netflix or their, their streaming subscription service. Have you heard about it? Yeah. 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 I did hear about it. Yeah. Like six ninety nine a month. I mean, they'll probably end up raising it eventually, but they, they, they're, they're gonna crush it because they priced it right. They did price it right, and it's Disney. I mean, that in itself, people would have paid more, but they were willing to really, really put it out there for so everyone could afford it. Well, not only that, they own a big chunk of Hulu as well as well as ESPN. They're gonna put like. Um, packages together for people and just make it you know they're gonna do they're gonna hurt netflix badly badly yeah okay let's move on let's talk about some good stuff companies help women return to work returnship programs are becoming more popular as the competition for talent grows amid a tighter a tighter labor market companies are tapping into the pool of seasoned professionals who took time off to care for their families and are ready to return to the workforce the programs often target mothers and provide mentorship and coaching for them to reintegrate into the workforce. Companies who have already implemented returnship programs include Walmart, Netflix, Goldman Sachs, Credit Suisse, and more. So I think it's cool. great. I think it's really great because there's nothing like coming back into the workforce. And believe me when I tell you, raising your kids, like what, what Melissa's doing, what my daughters are doing, uh, it's the hardest job ever to stay home and deal with kids 24 seven, 365. So then when you step back in the workforce and you, and you feel like you're so antiquated, you feel like a dinosaur, even if you've only been off a year or two years, it, things move so quickly. You just feel like you're behind the eight ball and it's just great that they're going to do this. Yeah. It makes sense too. And, and um, when you, when you take care of people and, and from a business and, and put your trust and belief in them, it, it usually pays itself back. You know, and it's an investment and it's smart and the best companies and the smartest companies invest in their people. Absolutely. You're only as good as the people you put around you. I know I've said it a million times in life, in business, in every instance, you are only as good as the people you put around you. Uh, not in the places I've been, but that's another story. I'm happy where I'm at now. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, this is an interesting story. Uh, scientists have pinpointed the exact age when you'll be at the most optimistic in your life. I don't know how they do that, but let's listen. A new study looked at the large sample of people aged 26 to 71 and followed them over a seven year period. At four points, participants had their optimism measured and were asked 54 additional questions about various life events. Researchers pointed, pinpointed 55 as the age when people, both men and women, were at peak optimism. There was one booster that tended to inflate people's optimism even more. People who had luckier lives full of positive events like graduating from college, receiving generous pay, and developing strong romantic relationships. What do you think about this? I think it's incredibly true. I, for some reason, when I thought it was maybe because your kids were growing up or when, when you hit 50, like all of a sudden, like you're really optimistic about life, I think. Well, it's good to have, uh, you know, your children around you too. But so I'm going to hit 50 and still have babies. Yeah. So you're going to, you know, it's actually, it's very good to have your kids around you. But I don't know. It's just like, you feel like there's a chapter of your life starting over for some reason. Yeah. I, you know, I, I feel like that too. I feel like, um, 
mentally I feel better than I ever have. So, and you've got you've got so much to look forward to. I mean, let's face this, Seth. You you really you you lived your, a a very full and good life before you had children. Now this is just a different good and full life. Um, it's way better. Yeah, it's not even close. Yeah. The before is like you know, it's, there's always like professionally I did okay, but there's always a struggle in you know figuring out what you want and how to get it and. But you know, once you you get what you want and and you know you're you're happy and you're satisfied, it's just it's it's makes everything else seem easier and fall into place. Yeah, when when everything's when you feel in sync, first of all, you have to feel in sync with yourself because if you're at war with yourself, you're at war with everybody. So well, sometimes, sometimes I still feel like that too. <laughs> yeah, that you're war with yourself. It's a war with everybody. I, just, I, I you know it is when you don't you don't you don't rest enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, what else does it say about this? It says uh, anticipating the best possible outcome is something to strive for, but it's not always easy. At what age does optimism come most naturally? Science thinks they have a sh- sh- uh, the trajectory trajectory figured out, and in fact, narrowed it down to the specific age. Um, I guess that is fifty five. Uh, let's see what else they say. New research from the University of California, Davis, that was published in Social Psychology and Personality Science used data gathered from a large sample of Mexican-Americans between the ages of 26 and 71 and followed them over a, a seven-year period as well. And what did they come to get a different answer with that? And you, know what, you know what I thought was weird? You're most pessimist, pessimistic in your 20s. Didn't you think that was weird? No. No? You're getting out of college. You're getting married. You're looking for all this new adventure. And you're pessimistic most in your 20s? You got a chip on your shoulder. So I think that's what that is. That doesn't really? surprise me. Yeah. You get, there's, I, I always felt a neg- negative vibe kind of like, uh, around you know that, that age. Those people, they're all entitled. And like, you know, they come to work. I worked here for a year. I should get promoted. You know, just there's just negativity around it. So. Makes sense. I was shocked by that because I was like, I've always been a really, really optimistic person. But in my 20s, I was like, wow, you know, all this stuff's new and you can do anything. You're an adult now and you travel the world and blah, 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 blah. I I just didn't see it. I didn't see it. Well, I saw it. Your life was different, though, Karen. You lived a crazy different life than everyone else. Everyone in the whole world. Uh, no, but you know, different than the average bear. Yeah, definitely different than the average bear. Listen, Karen, life is long and nobody knows what could happen, positive or negative. Work hard, play hard, enjoy the ride. You know, chances are that you know, you know, the longer you do, the sunnier your outlook will be. Okay. Yep. And you know what? They say life is a highway. Oh, uh, don't, no, don't do it. Do it. Do it. Uh, life oh, is a highway. I want to ride it all night long. Good job. I was hoping for it. Okay, good. That was it. (laughs) No, good enough. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Seth. Yeah. All right. So, again, we want to thank Beth Comstock for your your time, for your open, honest answers, for a great interview. Thank you so very much. And with that, Mother Says is... It's not about the dress you wear, but about the life you lead in the dress. Or pain. Mm. 
whichever. Okay, thanks. You're welcome. So with that, we say, hey, thank you, everybody, for listening. We have a great show next week. We have some really exciting news. We have um, some very, very great people coming up this this month. We have two gentlemen, two great guys, and you're going to know both of them. So um, listen this month. You're going to be really shocked and surprised and excited to hear these great interviews coming up. And in the meantime, we'll talk to you soon. Hey, Seth. Yeah. Be optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. Have a good one, everybody. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.